presence is being able to just be somewhere and not be thinking about what's next, even when it comes to a conversation. Because I, I find a lot of people, like you're talking to somebody and you're kind of like you have something in your mind that you want to say. And so you're not even really, you're only half listening. You really just want to say what you have to say next. And I try not to do that. Like if I'm, if I'm listening to somebody, I want to listen to them and I'm hoping that they're going to do the same. And when it comes to sport or, um, photography, it, it really is just trying to concentrate on what you're doing right then and there and not worry about what's next. Um, you know, whether that's getting just to the next aid station, if you're having a rough race and just being present in that and maybe taking taking inventory of how bad your knee hurts and like, is, is it really that bad? Okay. No, we can work with this. Okay. That's cool. Let's just keep, keep cruising. Or if it's, you know, the shot I'm working on, not worrying about the next location. One of my assistants will be, their job is to just worry about the time because I don't want to have to watch, check my watch every five minutes worrying, okay, do we need to be at the next location yet? So I can just concentrate on making this location the best it can possibly be right now. Do you guys want a podcast or what? Yeah, let's do it. That's what I came here for. Welcome back to the YTP. I'm Jess. I'm your host, and I'm here with Coach BJ and our guest today, Nick Isabella. Nick is a lifestyle and fitness photographer that actually does a lot of fitness. He's an Ironman triathlete and a course record holder, ultra runner. Wow. Wow. You're wowing yourself already. I love it. BJ and I worked with Nick earlier this spring for a day-long photo shoot, which was actually like the most perfect day during our San Diego super bloom. It was unbelievable. Uh, We just loved working with him, with you, Nick. And from the first few minutes, when you threw yourself down on the ground uh, in search of the perfect shot, we just could feel your passion. It was palpable. And we knew that we had to bring you to the Yogi Triathlete community as we felt that you are surely looking finding and creating your purpose every day. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Are um, you impressed with yourself? No, it really wasn't a wow <laughs> by myself. It's like you just really delved into some, you know, I, I don't like to talk about myself that much. And so I was like, oh, wow, we're, we're talking about perfect. that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is the perfect place for you to get on the other side of it because this entire show is dedicated to you. Let's go. And people around the globe are going to be listening to it. No <laughs> pressure. Dude. No pressure. <laughs> So when you walked in this mo- this morning, we were getting our drinks ready, our cacao ready, which is what we like to do with our guests is drink some sacred cacao so we can get things really flowing. From one world cacao. But I had mentioned to you, you know, do you need to use the restroom before we start? And you said, yeah, because I had a killer workout this morning. So what was it? Well, I, yeah, I'm just real hydrated right now. Um, <laughs> so I tend to work out in all these little mini fitness groups. Um, one of them... I started with, and it's not official, there's not a website, there's nothing. We call it the cut and paste run group. And it is literally a invite sort of thing. You send one text to one person, there's no group. Um, and we change it up almost every week. So this morning, we went to the Torrey Pines glider port stairs, <clears throat> which if you know, those are some kind of gnarly stairs that go down uh, I know to Black's Beach. Yeah. And we just run it for either, depending on the day, either 75 or 60 minutes straight and just up and down, up and down, up and down. And it is a gnarly workout. Um, and you're getting really good, like you're getting that mental acuity and that footwork in too. Yeah, you have to be on it. And it's a little slippery because it's been so rainy and uh, nobody's fallen yet. 
thankfully. How many stairs but, are there? I feel like I'm going to really over exaggerate. I think it's it. like 8,000. Yeah, there's. <laughs> <laughs> that's not an over exaggeration. I was going to say 25,000, but I want to say it's, it's, is it like a thousand? You know what? I steps? will count next time. It's probably somewhere in the range of like 250. Oh, a thousand. I know that we went from 8,000 to 250, <laughs> but still, it's, but they, you know, they are eroding and they're kind of trying to keep it together, but. Every step is different. It's not actual concrete stairs. They're, they're dirt and there's like eroded concrete and there are um, wooden areas. And so we just kind of show up. We, everyone, you know, I think this morning we had 15 people, which is a lot for us. Usually it's closer to nine or 10 and say hellos, give our high fives. And then just we're off for 60 minutes. And just so go do you hard. start at like, first of all, Torrey Pines is the most gorgeous place to run. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's unbelievable. You can't even believe that earth can be so beautiful. And so did you start at the base and then run up or? We start at the top. And so we top. run down and then two feet on the sand at the beach and then make your way back up. Yep. And it's kind of, it's kind of great because there's people that are of all different levels of fitness and like running ability. And so the whole time you're high-fiving people and just, it's really a positive experience. You're like, keep going, keep going. Everyone's struggling. No, I want to go to the cut and paste group. You're in. You're both in. <laughs> I will. I will send you an invite. And I just I mean, feel I would be destroyed. I hope that. so. Uh, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> My legs would be crushed. <laughs> that is the point. Like, just, so what do you do the next day? What's what's so what would you do tomorrow? Well, to, so I am a a tribe member of this thing called the November Project. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you guys have yeah. heard of yeah. this. So, the guy who started this cut and paste thing. Uh, is also started November Project back in Boston in 2012. Brogan. His name is Brogan. Yeah. Yes, and Goldie, and that's yep. Goldie is how I found you. Goldie exactly. Yoga. Exactly. It's all coming full I circle know. here. Yeah, <laughs> and we're from Boston too. I didn't even. I just found out about a year ago that they live in the La Jolla. La Jolla? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get them on the show too. I, I think that would be a great I would idea. love I to have them on as a on couple. Way here. Oh, <laughs> I thought that would be really cool. I would listen to that four times in a row. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be really cool to get, because I've heard him and I've listened to her a lot. And I mean, I just thought it would be really cool to get them as a couple and get that, capture that dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's a fun dynamic for cool. sure, because they have a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences too. Mm -hmm. So uh, but yeah, I was thinking about that on the way up because of the workouts. Like, oh, you guys need to all meet and be on the podcast and come to these workouts. Yeah. And just, we'll all be a big happy family. All right. Well, we're going to cut and paste that shit. <laughs> Make it happen. I was wondering if I could swear on this podcast. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah anything goes. I'm not going to drop a lot of F-bombs, but just in case. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if we have the dump button ready or... No, yeah. You feel free. You feel free. People know to uh, put their headphones on if they've got kiddos in the car. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, so actually, to answer BJ's question, like, so you did a hard workout today, and then mm -hmm. what will tomorrow look like? Will, so, you, will you try and recover from that, or are you going to back it up? I generally try and do, so I'm, I'm in, back in triathlon mode. I was in trail running mode for a couple of years and not really doing a lot of biking or swimming, and I'm trying to do more of the other two disciplines. Um, but tomorrow would normally be a November Project Workout on Wednesday mornings. Uh, we all meet at 630 it's like 100 people or so in Balboa Park. And so that's usually kind of a run-heavy body weight exercise, a lot of push-ups, uh, burpees, that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it'll be three or four miles and not necessarily super intense. It's one of those workouts you can make it as hard or as easy as you need. So tomorrow I would probably do a little bit more running and some maybe go to the gym or depending on what the workout was. And then Thursday, biking. I run a... 
small group fitness thing on Thursdays called Make Thursdays Great Again. <laughs> it's just a biking crew. You know, I was wondering about those <laughs> Thursdays. Thursdays did not <laughs> used to be that great. And then we all started biking together and man, it turned things around. It's like a real kickstart into the weekend. I love it. What are you training for? <laughs> um, I'm training for a very small free triathlon in, <laughs> in Mission Bay put on by a bunch of my friends. Um, very cool. It's the third annual. And so other than that, I don't, I have the North Face Endurance Challenge in November, the 50K. Cool. Yeah. Like that's the next official thing. But now, were you signed up for that last year? And yeah, the one that got canceled. Yeah. I'm and wearing then, the shirt. Oh, and then I'm wearing the shirt right now. Yeah. I did a run afterwards. Jonathan Levitt, didn't he do a. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jonathan Levitt did. you go did. up for that? No, I didn't. I didn't. And then you were probably really smart, and you took the free entry and registered on time, unlike sure me, did. and I lost the free oh, entry. Yes. That's, I made <laughs> I made a donation to North Face. But you know what? I actually have no problem with that because they, um, you know, that kind of uh, off the cuff backyard 50k that they did up near Truckee you know North Face donated a ton of money yeah. for that and you know in support of the fire so I have no problem with throwing down my my money for that one but that intrigues me up there because it's it's what it's over 7,000 feet of climbing over 50k which is pretty legitimate yes um so I did that one a couple years ago the 50k and three years ago did the 50 mile and that was like 11 two like oh, 11,200 feet of climbing. So it was good. brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Is it the first 50 miler you've done? That was the second 50 miler I've okay. done. The first one was back in Wisconsin I did with my brother called the uh, Dances with Dirt. And it's at Devil's Lake, Wisconsin. Um, really fun race. And he and I uh, just ended up running the entire thing together, which is fun. So Most recently, now is this the same brother that you guys went and torched Sycamore Canyon 100K? So yeah, I have two younger brothers. Uh, the youngest does not care about fitness, but he has his own. He's an artist and he is fantastic at what he does. And then the middle brother, Bennett, is a fantastic athlete. He got me into triathlon. He got me into trail running. And so he came out in February from Minnesota and we ran the Sycamore Canyon 100K together and we ended up winning and setting a new course record. I know. That's so cool. I Just love That's really, my, my favorite. If if people who listen to this podcast, they've heard me talk about it. It's, it's one of my favorite places Sycamore to Canyon. run, if not yeah. my most favorite place to it run here. It is gorgeous. And there's all sorts of terrain and there's flat portions and there's a river. And there's was, not usually a lot of people out there yeah. at all. Because I didn't even know about it until I went for sort of a course preview with my oh, training really? buddy, Eugene. We went out two weekends before just like, we've never been here, so we should kind of know what we're getting into. So we ran one loop of the course, and that, I think that was really helpful mentally. So, so. When, you, when you do the 100K, are you going down Heart Attack Hill, or do you guys run up it? So it's a, it's a loop, an eight-mile loop, yeah. and then you go uh, backwards then each you go, time. So you're like, doing everything. Yeah, like That's a Barkley so cool. Marathon style. So, you're, yeah. so you get to go up it once, and you go down it, and then you go up it. And, yeah. And what I found interesting about that and kind of cool was you could always see where the competition was based on they were always, you know, coming in 10 minutes ahead of you. So you could have this mental idea of where everyone was on the course at all times. That's so cool. Yeah. So now is that the first time that you've taken one, two at a race, you guys? Oh, like who, absolutely who, who won? <laughs> did, Bennett, did Bennett come in first? Did we, you come on his? Or? We actually held hands and crossed the finish line at the exact same time. Oh my God, that's so he, cute. He... 
was recorded as coming in before me because I think, you know, it's just so low key that somebody's just like typing in your name. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> so right. They, My pen ran out. Or maybe it was alphabetical <laughs> order, Bennett versus Nick, Isabella. I don't know. But so uh, technically he got credit for And first. what was your finish time at that? Uh, 12 hours and nine minutes. For 60, <clears throat> what, what was? It was 64 miles. Was 64 the final, miles. Final yeah. Total. So people who aren't familiar with like trail running, it says 100K, it says 50 miles, says 50K, but it's... It's never those distances. Yeah. No, and what did the race director at Chimura say? He had his watch and he's like, I know you guys all have watches. You're all going to have your own distance and time. Doesn't really Doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. Mine right here. <laughs> he's like, he'll say like, good, good for you. Good yeah. for good you for that you, you have your good miles. Information. But the only one that matters is mine. So don't get lost. All right, let's do this. Yeah. Have, do you know, have you heard of that race up in Orange County, Chimera? No. The old goat races. Oh. And the old goat is basically the race director. And, uh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, he's an old goat. He's a really, really cool guy. Uh, but anyway, I, I got in lieu of uh, North Face last year, got to run Chimera. They had a 40 mile. Okay. So I did that one instead. Did cool. 40, 60, And that's a gnarly, they have a 100 mile, they have a 100K, and then they had a 40. I think they had a 20 too, because mm-hmm. they were loops. But that's a gnarly race, a pretty technical, lots of climbing. Mm-hmm. I think that was close to 8,000 feet. That sounds over the course of like forty or over seven thousand for over four, for forty miles, which it's is pretty good. One of those things, like as as endurance athletes, that sounds fun. And so many, like ninety nine percent of the world goes fun. Are you kidding me? Like that's not fun. That sounds like torture. <laughs> right. But eventually, you get to the point where they become sort of the same thing. Yeah. Like nothing that is easy is as much fun as like putting a ton of work into it and really so much more rewarding when you just throw it all out there and you have just come so close to being done but then you're not and you keep going and you're like my god thank thankfully i did that and even in small things like yesterday i finished a long day at the office and I had packed all my swimming gear and i i don't like swimming i'm not fast i i'm not comfortable in the water I kind of forgot that I planned to do that. And so I'm like getting into my car, thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner. And then I remembered, oh my gosh, I planned a pool swim workout, which I hate even more than an open ocean. But I just <laughs> said, you know what? Don't think about it. Just go. Go to the pool, get in the water, swim your laps. And then, you know, and I did that. And it was great. I mean, it sucked, but it was great. <laughs> I has, did it. Has that always been your default? So in your mind, when you see an out for a workout or session or a project or whatever you need, or editing, whatever you need to do, has it always been a way where you just shift gears and you're like, just get it done? Like, don't think about it, act. Or has there been times where maybe you spent, you know, time overthinking things and looking for that out? Is it pattern? Is it ingrained in you? I would love to say it's ingrained in me, (laughs) but I'm going to try and be real here. (laughs) When it comes to workouts, I think I'm better at it. I think uh, four out of five times I can just say, hey, like just put your doubts aside, put whatever is going on aside and just get it done because I know every single time you get done with that workout and you go, I'm glad I just did it. There's never a time when you finish a hard workout or even an easy one. You say, sure wish I hadn't done that. Sure wish I would have just sat on the couch longer. Never happens. When it comes to working, I think... The creative process sometimes can be so mentally and emotionally draining for me um, that I have to really gear myself up sometimes. And you don't get that same endorphin 
reward sometimes. So not every time that I know that I need to get work done, do I just say, just do it. But most of the time. So how do you shift the mindset into getting it done? I think about the, the end product and I think about how happy, whatever it is, whether it's a workout or the work itself, you know, finishing a project is going to make me feel versus, you know, giving into this voice inside my head that says, I don't want to. And, <laughs> and it says that, it like that. Voice. That's how, yeah. But it says it over and over. Right. It's, it's, a, over. it's a five-year-old. And <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a little needy baby. Yeah. It to- and so, you know, you try not to give in to the needy baby and you think about the, the reward, which is the final product. Um, and that's kind of the mindset I get into. Yeah. Let's go, let's take a step back because we kind of grazed over this win at Sycamore Canyon. I think it's super cool. When did you, I mean, did you, were you in the lead the whole time or? Not even close. Um, I had no intentions of doing any of the things that happened that day. This, and I usually don't like, I race hard and I, I've never been a race to finish sort of person. Like I put in the work and I go out on race day and I, my goal is to crush it personally it's never to win races because I'm really not that fast. Um, so I don't win races, but my brother and I went out and knowing it was a loop course, I said, I'm going to try and keep up with him for two laps, like 16 miles or so. He's got so much more experience with than I do with ultra running. Um, he's, he did Western States last year and I got to pace him for that. He, he's been in Kona. Um, so I thought if I can just kind of take his pace for two laps, I won't go out too fast. I won't slack too much. I'll like because you knew he was he was smart. He knew how to he exactly. knew how to take it. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we got through the first two, no problem. And then it turned into four, and I'm just kind of keeping up with him, and we're having a good time. And uh, by lap six, we kind of would just like looked at each other, like we're just gonna finish this together, right? And he's like, yeah, let's go. And so we were not ever in the lead. Um, I think after lap four, we were five and six maybe. And because it is a loop course, you always see who's in front of you and you can like kind of gauge your competition. And in a a race like this, you know, the competition, you're high-fiving them. You're saying, good job. You're looking strong. And uh, so we would catch up to somebody, chat with them for a while. And uh, eventually, if we were feeling good, just sort of like slowly pull away, say our goodbyes and, you know, have a great race. There's this one guy, um, <clears throat> I don't know his name, I wish I did, but he was in the lead the entire time and looking strong. He's an older older gentleman, uh, I think he was 60, but he was at least 10 to 20 minutes ahead of us the entire race. And so eventually at the last lap, we had pulled into second and third, and I, I told Bennett, it's like, dude, we're going to get second and third. That's pretty cool. We're going to podium together. And we... Uh, that was kind of it. So we just kept running, kept running. There was four miles left and we're on a flat. Um, we're at mile 60 and I look out in the distance and there's, the, I was pretty sure it's the first place guy walking. I turn to Ben and go, is that him? He goes, yeah. So we <laughs> kind of maybe a, a dick move, but we just stopped talking. We picked up the pace, like went stride for stride and just passed him looking so strong. <laughs> like, right. like if he had any fight left in him, it was gone after that. So. <laughs> you guys were owning the win. You were, there's nothing wrong with that. So we ended up, uh, yeah, we ended up uh, taking the, 
taken the trophy and the trophy was a small coaster and I, it was like, it's perfect. I, I hold my beer on it. So. That's awesome. <laughs> What's the elevation of that going? Cause you've got some pretty good. Um, I think all told it ended up being 10,600 feet nice. of climbing. And it's yeah. how many laps? Eight loops. Yeah. Whoa, you could do that, BJ. You're the loop yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm getting curious. Yeah, loop I like guy. loops. I, I kind of liked the loop too because you you sort of are mentally prepared for what's coming and you know the shitty parts and you know the parts where you're going to kind of get excited about. Yeah, you know where you can bomb and you know where, yeah. And then you've got that kind of that flat down in the valley mm-hmm. through it. Very cool. Yeah. I love, yeah, that's, I've been threatening to get <clears throat> BJ out there. Um, Eventually. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I love it out there. We'll do a cut and paste field trip out there. Okay. okay. Yeah. Perfect. Now we're determining where <laughs> the cut immediately going goes. to like, oh, I will be suffering. You'll be, I'll be, you'll be fine. What, um, just curious about what, like, what was your longest run leading into that race? And what do you think your brother's was going into that race? Just for comparison's sake. Um, so my brother lives in Minnesota. And so this is a February race. He trained through mm, one of the brutal coldest, conditions. brutalist Minnesota winters in recent memory. And he would send me photos every weekend of him coming back from honestly a 30 mile run with icicles, you know, you've seen those photos like through on his, I've like, lived that. And, We've yeah. lived that. Yeah. <laughs> New England. <clears throat> That's I've, why we live here. I've been out in uh, San Diego so long that I, you know, it's a distant memory for me, but, um, so I think he probably somewhere in, he did a 50 K as mm-hmm. like some, I don't even know if it was a race. I think he just did one. Uh, and for me, my longest was a marathon. And I am a big fan of the, the I don't know what if there's a term for it, but sort of laddering your long runs. So I did a, a 16-miler on Friday and then a 23-miler on Saturday and then a marathon on Sunday. And then on the fourth day, he rested. And that, that was... <laughs> so that's... <laughs> and then there was light. <laughs> um, that's, le- that's legit miles in a three-day... Yeah, and that works stand. for me because like your body remembers that without breaking it all the way down to the point like you don't want to run you know 45 miles in a training run it just it's not a good too idea. much breakdown yeah. happens in one for most shot. people for most people for most people exactly yeah yeah i know and that, that's how you train us bj it's, especially for longer stuff is just building like you build you, you stack a weekend yeah. friday saturday yep. Sunday. stacking stack oh, ladder yeah. works too like laddering ladder. works as well so how did you get into all of this. How'd you get into fitness? And because you're a personal trainer too, did that come first? Well, I I thought about becoming a personal trainer. I studied for the test, and I did get certified through ACE. And it was a, about the same time that I needed to choose what my kind of next step was in my career. It was either personal training or photography and graphic design. And I abandoned the the personal. I never trained a single person officially. Um, and I went the, the artistic route and have never had any regrets about that. But I do think that training for that or studying for all of that and being around trainers a lot sort of gives me a different perspective. Um, but what was, the, what was the original How question? did you get into endurance sports? <laughs> endurance sports, yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually, so I was a wrestler from first grade through the end of high school. I wrestled for 12 years. So you know how to absorb sensation in the body. Yeah. And that was to this day, some of the hardest workouts I've ever done and also cutting weight. So the reason I got into running was to actually get in shape and start to lose weight for wrestling season. 
And my high school had a really solid cross country team, like a really big one. And so a bunch of my friends were on it and they said, join cross country. I said, all right. I had never really run before. And I was, I was the kid in elementary school when you do the, the mile tests every year, I would fake sick that I hated running so much. Um, yeah, I'm not like, I remember that. I'm not proud of that, but I just, and so I was never a big fan of running, but joining this cross country team with the, the energy that was there and the people and the coach Raleigh Greeno, um, just, it was, it was a great experience and I actually really liked it. I was not fast. I didn't even make the JV team, but, uh, kept going, kept going. And then through college, I just sort of ran recreationally. Um, and finally did my first marathon in 2007 because I'd been out in San Diego for about three, three and a half years. And I was in the worst shape of my entire life. Like I just, I felt doughy and I couldn't run two and a half miles. And so well, what were you doing? How'd you get all doughy? I was 25 and, you know, living that San Diego fun <laughs> party life, you know, <laughs> and just, <laughs> just kind of, you know, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but I did a, I, I actually took photos of myself and then every month I kind of got on this training plan. I started eating better and every month I would take more photos of myself. And so I love that I have this record of sort of becoming more fit. Um, <clears throat> and so ran the Carlsbad marathon is my first ever, uh, distance endurance race. And uh, my goal was to come in under four and I did that barely. And, um, it was kind of, that was, that was the start of it all. And I really, really enjoyed running. Um, and it was just cathartic and it was a good way to meet people and to find like-minded souls. And But did you know that coming in under four is like something that somebody runs marathon their whole, marathons their whole life and they can never break that four hour mark? Like that's pretty legitimate. I, I, I guess I didn't know that at the time, but it seemed like there was a lot of other people that wanted to break four and that was a reasonable goal for me based on how while I was running, I was like, I can do this. If I have a decent day, I should be able to just based on how my training was going. Um, and so now, well, fast forward, when is that fast forward 12 years and I now have a new goal. I may, I may run one more road marathon. We'll see. And I'd, I'd want to break three for the first time. Nice. So, That's the and, new goal. Any yeah. races catch your attention? Um, I was going to do the OC marathon a month ago, it was almost exactly a month ago. Mm -hmm. And my schedule just, I wouldn't have, I would have blown up and it would have been terrible. So not sure yet. Maybe we can talk later if you have any ideas on mm. some fast kind of, you know, something I can drive to maybe mid season. So, so to date, what's your fastest road marathon? Uh, 304. I ran the okay. California International a few years ago to qualify for Boston. Nice. Yeah. And so then you're how looking was to break three. I love what that. What were you at Boston? Did you? Uh, I was there 2017. 2017. Yeah, it was a hot year. I had a terrible race. Okay. It was fun. Most of it was you really fun. You just never know what it's going to be like. Yeah, the yeah, next two and years the, have been after that were <laughs> cold and cold. Yeah. And what I went into it with the mindset of this is kind of my my victory lap. You know, yeah. I did the work. And funny enough, it was a year and a half after I actually qualified because I did it on a late race or I guess a really early race. Um, and so I did everything wrong. Like I had been sick the week before. I actually did Ragnar as an ultra team the week before. And then... Smart um, move. Yeah, super smart. Got sick because of that. 
was sick all week, travel, did a bunch of November project workouts the day before, <laughs> and just <laughs> literally did everything wrong before a big race. And so I went into it with the mindset of, you know what, like, this is just for fun. I want to take in the crowd, enjoy it, because it's the most storied marathon in the world and like have fun with it. I yeah, no, no expectations. Yeah, no plans to re-qualify, to PR, anything. So how'd you way, do? Bad. <laughs> all those mistakes were oh, really man. bad mile 20 came up and i was i was spent like i i don't often bonk in races and i bonked hard mm. um so i you know i just took that for what it was and said hey you you earned this <laughs> in both <laughs> qualifying but also for all this stuff that you put yourself through the last week and not being smart like this is what you get and then where did triathlon come in? Triathlon came in in 2012. Um, again, uh, bring up my brother Bennett, who had been doing it for a couple years and had finally qualified for Kona. And so we took a big family vacation out there. My parents came and his wife to Hawaii, and I got to see the, the world championships. And that was just sort of this eye-opening experience of pain and suffering and but in like the best way of people working so hard and just watching that finish line, people coming through, it's like you could see all the work they had put in, every single person that came. And I just had this aha moment. I was like, this is my next thing. <laughs> I started training and I signed up for an Olympic distance try um, and then did some sprints and a couple more Olympics, eventually moved on, did uh, my first 70.3 in St. George and then Oceanside, and eventually uh, decided it was time and uh, signed up for the full uh, long course Ironman. Um, yeah, and your one and only Ironman, you broke 11 hours. Yeah, I was I, not going to lie. I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah. Yeah, on a <laughs> challenging, super challenging course. So, I mean, yeah. do you have Kona on the brain or on the heart? No, not really. Not I, really. There it is. Okay, on the heart, yeah. I mean, of <laughs> course, I think any... Any triathlete who really is passionate about the sport, like there's a part of them that's like, oh my God, that that would be amazing. But I also know what goes into that. And I also know my ability level. And so like between the two, my brain's like, let's be realistic here. My heart would love to. Um, but maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit. I don't know. Yeah, you might not be giving. How old are you? What, what age group are you in? Uh, I'm 38. So okay. Yeah, well, they just get faster, but you've got yeah, plenty of time. But yeah, I mean, and you've got that, you've got that <laughs> important thing locked down, which is the mindset and the and the run, which yeah. is which is key. The swimming, you know, you know yeah. that like it doesn't yeah. really it's not really a factor for for that. But yeah, I mean, just get on the bike and run that three hundred four. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That well, would, that would did you it. stay for the midnight finishers in in Kona? Did no, no, around? we didn't. We we went back eventually. I. What did we do that night? This is a long time ago, though. Um, no, we went back. Um, we popped some blood blisters on my brother's foot, and then uh, <laughs> as a family, like, cracked some beers and ended up like probably passing out at in nine thirty or something like that. And but, people are still. I always think still, like when we're back at the Airbnb, it's like, man, people are still out yeah. there. People are still out there. Uh, but you felt the vibe there, right? Like, oh you know, my that, gosh, that, it's palpable. It's yeah. amazing. Everywhere um, you look. Mm -hmm. I mean, the town completely transforms for a week. Um, and I've been, I actually went back to Kona last year as a photographer, um, not during the race, just in April to shoot a friend who hired me to do his kind of maternity photos. And he was living on Hawaii and 
was uh that was really fun just sort of relive that but to see kona on a on a normal time period like very yeah. sleepy town you know yeah well let's get into that then let's get into mm. your craft uh when did photography come into your life great segue by the way no you set it up dude <laughs> so uh Honestly, it, it might sound a little cliche, but photography has been a part of my life since I was little. Uh, my, my parents recognized something in me. I've always been an artist. I, I did painting and drawing since I was teeny. And then my parents bought me a little uh, camera, a film camera, back when I was probably 10. And I would just take pictures of my pets. You know, I'd try to capture, I had birds because I'm allergic to dogs and cats. I would try and capture them in flight. Are you doing okay and, with Clark? Oh, Clark's, yeah, it's great. Okay, that's great. No problem. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with that later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then, like, that had always been something. I was, I was the kid who always had the camera, you know, in fifth grade that would bring it to class and would just take pictures of my classmates and kind of capture those moments and those memories. So I actually have uh, photo albums from elementary school and middle school. And then once high school hit, I got a, a SLR camera. There's no D in that because there is no such thing as a DSLR back in when I was in high school. So film. And I took a ton of photography in high school and spent a lot of time in the darkroom and sort of started to learn all about that and like learns the ins and outs of f-stop and shutter speed and iso and different film types and how to develop so i got really into it and loved it um and then eventually so i went to the university of wisconsin in madison for college and took every course that they had to offer in photography and ended up being the darkroom manager and it was my minor um the interesting thing so that was all still film too and so i, I got my first digital camera i think my junior year of college as a gift for my parents and uh, I took it everywhere. I mean, I was, I invented selfies before selfies were a thing. Like it wasn't <laughs> even a term. They're just, you know, so I'd go to parties and I have so many photos of my college career because of that. And um, which I love every once in a while, you know, once a year, I'll kind of like find an album from junior year of college or something and say, oh man, we, we had a good time. And I bet you can see so clearly like where you were at skill level, like, the scope of, of your, your ability at that time. Yeah. And going back to all the prints that I, I did in college, there's, there's a few where I'm like, Oh yeah, like there's something there. And I, I really, I gravitated to portraiture and to people immediately. That was sort of my thing. That was always photographing people has always been what I've been passionate about. Um, never landscapes or still lifes. And that's nothing detrimental to those. That just wasn't my jam. So, but yeah, there was a certain level of, you know, you're always learning when it comes to pretty much anything, but especially for me, photography. And the thing about my education in college was it was much more liberal arts. It was more about the idea of the photograph and less about the technical stuff. It was sort of, we got the basics and the technical and now, now create something that has meaning, mm. which I think is really like a great baseline. But then fast forward to when... I started um, actually doing this professionally and I feel like my technical skill wasn't where it needed to be. You know, I had all these great ideas, but like the execution wasn't there because right up out of college, I moved to San Diego and became a graphic designer. Photography, even though it was something I loved it, I didn't see it as a viable career choice. You know, I didn't want to be the starving artist, whereas graphic design, I was 
okay at it and you could definitely make a buck. You can make a living as a designer. Were you working for a company or were you entrepreneur? Yeah, yeah. I no, I worked um I worked for a few uh, ad agencies. I actually worked for Sony Electronics for a few years. Um so there was yeah, it was usually a company and then I did a little freelancing on the side. Did you feel like you were did did you have that um kind of that voice inside that was saying like yes, this makes <laughs> sense on paper, but it doesn't make sense for what you what you need to express. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, that kind of hits the nail on the head in that I was never super passionate about design. Whereas anytime I picked up a camera, I felt like this is this is what I want to be doing. I was just trying to connect the dots to make that something like a livable thing that I could do. And so any any chance I got, even at so for example at Sony Electronics, we were doing a campaign around some uh, wearable wireless uh, earphones that were waterproof. And so we needed some athletes, and we we're gonna you know do this little mini photo shoot. And I, we were trying to look for photographers. So I went up to my creative directors like, give me a shot, like I give me a shot at, at photographing this. And so that was kind of my first ever photo shoot. And then it, it actually ended up probably getting more uh, sort of exposure than anything else I've ever done, just because it did go out to Sony stores around the world, like these photos, which I think is kind of funny in were retrospect. You like, were you timid or were you just like, oh my God, let me add it. Like, I can't wait. No, to I, I couldn't wait. And I, like, I just kind of went for it. And then that's sort of how I feel about photography. Even though I, every single shoot I ever do, I'm kind of anxious for. Like when I was going to meet you guys, I was like, there's just always so many variables. I mean, like, is the weather going to be okay? What are the locations like this and that? So I'm always thinking about trying to prevent what could go wrong. And there's always anxious, um, or excitement. Well, there is excitement too. Cause it, it's just how you, what you're feeling into, right? So those thoughts yeah. are going to, like we're talking about the thoughts, the thoughts are flooding in the what ifs, but then the excitement of like, Oh my God, I'm creating and helping to create a brand for like for, in our example, you helped create our brand. Like you're visually going to tell a story about who we are as people through visual cues, which is amazing. And it was once I met you guys specifically on your shoot and we started talking and we got to that first location, like usually the, all those butterflies, all those anxieties go away pretty quick. It's like the day leading up to it. Like, I don't want to mess this up. I, I feel responsible to create something that, you guys are going to be happy with or any of my clients are going to be happy with essentially photography has always been something that I've been trying to gear my life towards. And it was a few years ago that I saw some opportunities to like really start to make it happen and to have that become a bigger part of my life than any other professional endeavor really. And even though I, I like to think I'm sort of in this weird adolescent phase, you know, I'm, I'm no longer the, the kid, but I'm certainly not the, you know, the adult that I hope to be someday in terms of my career. So it's, it's weird. You know, I get a lot of inquiries from people that want photos and, but generally, you know, they want them on a budget. And so it's, it's this weird dance of trying to find the right clients. And I would say for every five inquiries I get, one actually turns into a photo shoot and, you know, learning that's, that's actually pretty normal and that's okay. And it's not, you know, I don't, I never take it personally. And a lot of this stuff is business. Um, but you start to create 
uh, relationships with people. I mean, obviously, right. I'm now on your podcast. Right. And we're now in your run group. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so where, what is that, that fine line, that edge of like the client with the budget and you being like, I, I can't, I can't do it oh. for that. Like, because there, right there's now you got the head in the heart again, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you sh- like it's money, but it's like, you don't want to prostitute yourself out there. Right. And, and so, that's where this whole adolescence thing comes in. Whereas a, I, uh, you know, a starting out photographer, I, I, I'm a big fan of the idea of really just doing a lot of work and saying a lot of yes, because even if it's maybe not something that you see yourself doing, it's experience and it's networking and you and I think it's all good as long as you're learning something from it, whether it, even if it's something you don't like to do, you're learning that you don't like to do it. I, I don't shoot weddings. I don't shoot engagement photos. I don't, you know, do family portraits. I used to do a little bit of that for friends. And at the end of 2018, I just, I shut it all down. I said, I am specializing 100% in what I want to do. And just those things aren't going to move my career in the way that I want it to. And so I, I have to turn a lot of that down, even though it's decent money. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's turning down money in pursuit of your dream. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And is that, it becomes easier the more you do it, but you have to go through that process. We can speak to this as well too. Like you, you have to say yes, 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 yes. And I think that's the, that that's, that's just the process. You got to get your name out there. You got to get your brand out there, but then it's that confidence that you've always had to step in and just say well need to stop this like now it's right it feels so like in my gut this project seems so right and you can make that decision yourself you don't have to let others dictate what you're doing because you're still building your brand like you're going to be known as the specialist for this and that's what you want to do and anything that comes in and tries to take your energy and focus elsewhere isn't contributing to this Mm -hmm. this brand that you're trying to build to become that adult you see yourself down the road as like, this is the guy that you want. You want everybody to say, Nick is the guy. If you want this, this is the person. Exactly. And it's sort of counterintuitive. I think a lot of beginning, we'll just keep on the photographers. The, the idea is, well, if I, if I do weddings and I do engagements and I do family and I do some sports and I do portraits, like I'll get all the business, you know, it's kind of like trying to pick from all the different apple trees in reality, what ends up happening is it just dilutes your brand. And, you know, counterintuitively to specialize is really where you have to go to build something that's super successful in most cases. So I've worked under a couple of amazing photographers over the years. Um, Nils Nilsson, uh, who is now the, uh, he used to do Ironman. He worked for Sports Illustrated and a competitor group. He is now the photography director over at Roca. Um, I used to assist on his shoots all the time and I met a lot of professional triathletes through that and seeing his style and seeing how he works and just like taking in as much as I could from that. And I still think about that on the types of shoots that I consider like nil shoots, which, and then, uh, another gentleman who lives in Lucadia, uh, Damien Noble Andrews, who is a fitness photographer as well. 
And he is kind of on the other end of the spectrum in terms of style. You know, it's a lot of strobes and it is like super glossy and beautiful and perfect. And uh, so I learned pretty much everything I know about lighting from him. Um, and so to take sort of those two opposite worlds and put them together, you know, I think it sort of made me a more well-rounded photographer, but also helped give me focus and just understand this is the direction that I want to go and this is what I love and being able to work with athletes as an athlete, I have a massive appreciation for what my clients do. But was there fear when you went all in? Like you said, 2018, no more weddings. I'm going all in. Was there fear there? Like I'm throwing away money. Well, I got to be honest with you. I don't even know if I am all, all in. I, I do still work a couple days a week at a branding agency doing design because I was just listening to Talbot Cox uh, podcast with you guys the other day. And he was talking about going all in and having like 20 grand and then seeing that go fast and it goes fast. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, accruing some really credit fast. card debt and, you know, you guys were in the same boat. Mm -hmm. And so I, like, I think I'm honestly still sort of on the ledge a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, What's or maybe you there? this is, it's a weird sort of conundrum because I don't think it's going to happen until I jump off. But oh, the yeah. idea of jumping off is like, what if it doesn't happen? So <laughs> Right, right, so, right? Oh. I know. Oh, my God. Which I think a lot of people can relate. They're in that spot. They're in oh. that place. Yeah. They're in that place. And, and so listening to your story and listening to Talbot's story, it simultaneously inspired the hell out of me and made me think, you know what? I just got to kind of sack up maybe and like <laughs> go like all, all in. <laughs> like drop the safety net. Um <sighs> And it's not that I dislike this design job. It's actually, it's great. And I like the people and I like the work, but I can't, I can't do my best work as a photographer and continue to build my brand when I'm spending a certain amount of time and energy doing something else. Yeah. So it's, you know, listen, you got to make this decision for yourself because you know, like Talbot said, like 20 grand went fast. Like BJ and I got our asses kicked. Oh, yeah. But, you know, life is a boomerang. So what you throw out is what you're going to get back. And if you've still got one leg in the safety net, you're not going to get, you're not going to be able to fulfill 100% of what it is that you want to go after. Yeah. And so it does, it does require you to sack up. I love that. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, this is what we talk about when we say the warrior path, like, and it is the hustle and it's just, but, you know, everything is energy, right? Everything is energy. And Einstein proved this to us. Thank goodness that this is now science that, when you're creating energy towards a direction, whether that's through thought, action, um, you know, practicing beliefs, practicing thoughts till they become beliefs that yes, you can do this. Yes, you can do this. There is no way the physical can't catch up. There's no way. If we were to sit down and look at like our bank statement from 2017 to 2018 to 2019, you'd be like, oh my God, there's no reason why, you know, when I go into PayPal, it's like up 175% from last year. I'm like, how is that even possible? <laughs> but it's because, um, which is so beautiful because now we're able to start to pay down all that debt that we got into. But it was because we went all in. We said, okay, universe, there's no freaking plan B. There's no plan B. And it got so 
it got so like dicey that we got our resumes together and we sent out applic- we sent out cover letters that were amazing like who wouldn't want to hire us and nobody was like crickets wow and i think that was the universe saying like you said you were all mm-hmm. in so go all in and just keep creating momentum so it was like yes 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 we said yes to everything i was teaching at seven yoga studios i was getting paid 25 dollars a class like i mean we weren't even making anything but we were doing the podcast and we were traveling and everything was out of pocket and we were just doing it because we were like, if we just keep creating momentum, if we just keep believing in this and our mission, that the physical has to catch up. I love that. And, and it I, does. And I think you're right. Even in, because I, I did take a three-month hiatus from design work and to just focus on building the brand. And even in that three months, you know, I certainly was in the in the red for three months, but... I saw growth happen and I did, you know, bigger clients and better. I learned a lot. And I, so I see what you're saying and I I think I believe what you're saying. And I think you're right. I just need to get that last foot out of the safety net or I'm going to end up with a broken foot. So that time, the time time will come and you'll, you'll just be like, well, what was I thinking? Yeah. Like, what was I thinking? Well, here's the thing. You guys got to have me back in a year. Okay. We'll we'll talk again. Yeah. We want to know how much your Venmo has increased. (laughs) 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 Up 195%. Um, You guys will hire me for another shoot. Yeah. Oh, can't (laughs) afford that. Hiring you. (laughs) But you know, your, your work is really amazing. We were, we were at like the Carlsbad village street fair. Right. And so, there's people doing portraitures and you know they've got photos out and remember I was saying there and I was like man Nick is like a hundred levels up from what I'm looking at right now and what I was looking at was totally acceptable and it was a beautiful capture mm-hmm. of a photo but when and by the time this podcast goes out um or actually I might actually launch it sooner than later that will put a little fire under your butt BJ to get these photos out there you know, especially like, I love those wetsuit photos that we did. I mean, they're just so dramatic and your passion in that moment, like everybody, like me and you and BJ and Jen, who was your assistant that day, like we were all just like showing up in that moment. Your passion is palpable. Like it just infused the entire day. And it really was like that our first shoot, our first stop was at Hosp Grove and they had just mowed all the grass and we yes. never have, it's never super humid here and we never have mosquitoes and you like jumped into the grass and we were just like swarmed by mosquitoes and you were just in it. You were like, I could, I'm like, I love this guy. He's just covered in grass. <laughs> no hesitation. Cut, mosquito bites yeah. everywhere. And, and Hosgrove was like, in, in, like it was green. It oh was, yeah. It was bright it was, it was green so that day. brilliant. I went by a, like a week later and all, the, all those grass like, clippings were brown. Yeah. Everything about that shoot day just ended up really kind of perfect. I mean, mm-hmm. I was driving up here thinking about that and had the thought, I'm so glad that today was not our shoot day because it's just been... Yeah. June gloom and May gray for two months. Yeah, totally. I know it was perfect, and so <laughs> that was you know when when I um I saw that you had taken you did the shoot with Goldie, and I was like, oh gosh, I just loved I loved how it felt dramatic, how I felt like I knew more about her by seeing a photo of her. And I said to BJ, I said, it's time to up our game. I want to hire this guy. And he just looked at yourself and said, great. Like there was no like, get three quotes. And, <laughs> and I just said, because I love to trust, 
I love to trust the artist, you know, especially like, especially when I'm working with somebody creative and BJ's creative and, and I've worked with photographers for years and years. And, and so we know, like, just, you just know, you just know, like if you just back off yeah, and give the them the space. process happen. That's where the best stuff comes, but it's always, it's always the, uh, you know, the client, you know, I can recall many instances where the, our marketing department was like, no, no, like maybe, maybe we need to go to this photographer for this. If you just let the process happen, man, the photos that would come out of it when it was all said and done without, without any interference from, you know, I used to work with restaurants without the managers or anybody like, yeah, just yeah. let the process happen. The stuff that came out was just yeah. awesome because you let the, you just let the Well, you allow grow. for flow. Yeah. And so hearing this is making me think about some of my favorite shoots and some of my favorite work. And to be honest, most of my favorite work is stuff that I've just done on my own with, you know, some friends or or a model or just get in the studio or just shoot something. I have an idea versus, um, I love how ours turned out, but you know, there's certain client work where it just kind of looks like client work because they have a very specific location plan you know, they'd send you things that you try and recreate and, um, you do the best with what you can. And I don't think there's ever been a shoot where I feel like we all totally failed, but it's maybe it doesn't go in the portfolio. And so I, I'm always trying to like make something that I would be proud of, let alone, you know, the client be happy with. So I think that's part of the passion is I really, really give a shit. Like, yeah, you do. I will, I will get down on the ground. I will jump in the ocean. I will run somewhere. And, uh, I saw that's you, part of the fun. I saw you risk your life several times on the 101 oh, that day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not only on the 101. I was like, there's a car coming. There's a car coming. The car It'll coming slow down. <laughs> also the ledge. He was out on the yeah. ledge and we were taking the bike, the bike portraits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Nick's yeah. just throwing his body down like on a cliff. I'm like, there's like an eighth of his body is on land and the rest of it's hanging over a cliff over the ocean. But so... Let's um let's talk a little bit about flow. Like what is flow to you? Have you experienced it in your craft or maybe in your athleticism or maybe both? Yeah, uh flow is something it's it's elusive, I would say first of all. Um it's something you really want to find. You don't always you don't always have a great workout. Sometimes you just got to slog through one that that's awful and you feel bad and but then you have that one workout where everything's clicking and you're firing on all cylinders and the legs are just cruising. I think a big part of that is, um, is a mental state. Half part of it's physical. You know, if you've just crushed a workout the day before, you're probably not going to be super fresh. Um, but I'm going to get real deep here, but I was in a relationship where it was not a super healthy one for me. And I, I noticed that my workouts were just consistently bad because I did not have a clear mind and I was worried about things. And, Um, so I just say that as sort of an example of, for me, flow, it has to be this melding of the physical and the mental. That's, Um, that's it. And even this morning, uh, at this, at this, uh, trail run up the stairs at the glider port stairs, um, we were all finished and there's a few people still coming up and everyone's like, everyone's working hard, whether you're the first one up or the last one up. And we started cheering on these last people who looked like they were suffering. And these are my friends. And as soon as they heard us cheering, they just started sprinting. And it just, you know, really proves like Alex Hutchins' uh, book, Endure, so much is mental. 
and like we do have a lot left in us and so if you can find that mental flow state and especially when you feel good physically and it all comes together like that's sort of the goal i think that's why we do this as athletes is to find that inner peace and to be doing something that we love and feeling great doing it you know it goes beyond i want to fit into my swimsuit it, like maybe that's how it starts but at some point you get to the you know to this state where you're doing just because you love doing it and it makes you feel good inside and out and creatively that's a little bit harder to maybe pinpoint i always know when i'm getting into flow when I start snapping the shutter a lot faster. <laughs> like, you're not think, you're not in the head. You're not, you're well, not it's in just the, like everything is sort of yeah. Everything's just finally come together. Whether whether it's the angle and the light and the subject, and it just boom. And you're like, oh yeah, this is like bam, 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 bam. You're um, super physical when you're shooting too. Like you're doing some serious deep lunging <laughs> yeah. and running and starting and stopping. <laughs> My friend Zoe likes to say that I'm the most uh, nimble photographer she works with because yeah i i like i kind of use my body as a gimbal it's so it's almost like the biathlon where you have to like get all those cross-country skis and then stop and take a shot <laughs> like with the rifle you need to be shooting photos and doing some athletic this could be an event actually this would be pretty cool oh the gosh. quality of your photo run, run an 800 also, and then you have to take like yeah. in focus well exposed right. photos yeah. your friends that put on that free triathlon maybe they could <laughs> yeah. create an event for you well, yeah. I remember coming, doing the bike shoot on the 101 and like every time I would come in, I would look back and you were like, you're shooting with me, but then you would take the camera away. Like you kind of like took it away and you're like looking at the shot through the, 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 the visual, but you the would, back screen. Go ahead. Keep it. No, keep but, but then you would look at it and then you're like, then the, the guidance, you know, the feedback would come and I'd go back and then you were just right back into it again. It was like a flow. It was like snap, snap, snap. Like, but you knew instantaneously when you got it. So how, like, when do you know that you have that perfect shot? Uh, I don't always know, but, and sometimes I think I got it and I didn't. That's the worst. It's, it's the other way around. That's great. It's like, oh, we didn't get it. And then you check and you're like, oh, oh, we got it. <laughs> um, and usually it is, it's just sort of this feeling like I, I know when the shutter snapped, I know if everything, like the angles lined up, um, if it was generally in focus, like you I think that just comes with experience of doing that over and over and over, over a few years. Um, and, but the flow state, I think it's, it develops and eventually it's things start clicking and you, it's a feeling you get. And mm -hmm. like, I get, I can feel myself getting more excited. Um, I, I use this analogy about photo shoots, uh, that they're kind of like first dates. It's a little bit awkward. It's very intimate. You know, you're taking somebody's photos. That's a, that's a, an intimate thing. Everyone doesn't know each other that well, so you're in your best behavior. And as things get going, if, you know, you've got a vibe, by the end of it, things are really, you know, clicking. And if it goes real well, you might have a second one. So like, that's kind of how I go in thinking of it. And so if I have the chance, a lot of times with a new client, I will actually try and meet up with them for drinks like a week or a day before the shoot. And that sort of icebreaker and getting to know you helps immensely on that first day. Like if we were to go shoot again next week, it'd be a very different vibe from the first time. Like it just like, we know each other, we have a rapport. Um, and so 
on big like magazine shoots where the editor says, you know, let's do the cover shoot first just to be safe. So if we get nothing else, we got the cover. I've started telling them, no, let's not do the, like, let's do a middle feature first, work our way into the cover, maybe second or third, because the first, uh, you know, the first look is usually a little awkward and you're not warmed up. You don't know each other. I'm just like, I have this stranger. I'm uh, throwing a lens in their face. So, right. And you don't know, not everybody's so comfortable behind the, right behind the camera. Um, so you've done, you worked with uh, JP McGee, who we actually had him on the oh, podcast too. Awesome. I got to yeah. listen to that one. Yeah. Oh my God. His story is, we talk about him doing the bloody couloir. Oh man. Oh man. Have you He's... seen the, the film yet? You did guys we got see it? the film? I don't think we saw yeah. it. Yeah. Um, no, I did. I did see it. Did we? Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, his story is amazing, and he's just a, a very, just a fantastic dude. And, and super just nice. fearless. Yeah. The stuff he's doing on that crazy bike of his, um, be cool to, to find out where he is now, but you've also done some work with, I saw Sean White. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you get hooked up with, with him? That was through Locale Magazine, who I've worked for and with for about three years, and so they, they just reached out, and they said, we would you know are you interested in shooting our cover for like i think it was december of 2018 he said we have sean white and i said yes i am interested (laughs) in doing that so (laughs) came in with uh, some assistance and i actually went to the the spot ahead of time kind of scouted everything out and had a game plan because i always i diagram out lighting beforehand and like rarely go into a big shoot without a plan you you have to especially when there's a lot of lights involved and but he showed up and he was great. Like he's just super chill. I mean, Southern California surfer, skater boy. Yeah. And uh, so I sat him down um, and we, we chatted for about 10 minutes before the shoot, just kind of getting to know you because obviously we didn't have a chance to get a beer ahead of time, which would have been great. Um, and because I asked Damien, one of my mentors, I told him, hey, man, tomorrow, biggest shoot of my career thus far, any advice? He's like, relax. Trust your process, trust that you know what you're doing, but also give your assistants as much of the technical work as you possibly can so you can connect with the subject. And that was that was great advice. So I gave my assistants the lighting diagrams and I said, go make this happen. <laughs> and we'll test it in 10 minutes. I'm gonna go hang out with Sean White. And it I think it really helped the process. So then when I did show him some photos then he trusted me even more. He's like, oh, I get it now. Like, okay, like this is, this is yeah. looking good. Well, let's keep going. So by the end of the shoot, I had him jumping off of stuff. and like, it was, But it was how like, is that? Like, here's the biggest shoot of your life and you're handing over the technical details to somebody. There, so there's trust there. Is that, mm-hmm. is that something that comes easy to you or, or do you tend to be somebody that likes to have their fingers in everything? Um, I put my fingers in a lot of things. Yeah, I... Um, I definitely, I think default to sort of, if you want something done right, do it yourself, but I have to consciously just do away with that thought sometimes and trust people. And there's, um, and there was a few people that I've worked with before. And so I knew that they knew what they were doing. And it was, at least in this case, the kind of thing where we set up the lights or they set up the lights and then I go in and we test it and it's not like it has to be perfect right away. As long as it's a general, you know, what I had in mind, because even if I diagram something out, it may not be perfect in the first place anyways. 
but, uh, so there's a, there's a bit of trust there. It's always a collaboration. Um, and then we just we dial it in and keep moving. So what's presence to you? Presence is being able to just be somewhere and not be thinking about what's next. Even when it comes to a conversation, because I, I find a lot of people like you're talking to somebody and you're kind of like you have something in your mind that you want to say. And so you're not even really, you're only half listening. You really just want to say what you have to say next. And I try not to do that. Like if I'm, if I'm listening to somebody, I want to listen to them and I'm hoping that they're going to do the same. And when it comes to sport or, um, photography, it, it really is just trying to concentrate on what you're doing right then and there and not worry about what's next. Um, you know, whether that's getting just to the next aid station, if you're having a rough race and just being present in that and maybe taking, taking the inventory of how bad your knee hurts and like, is, is it really that bad? Okay, no, we can work with this. Okay, that's cool. Let's just keep, keep cruising. Or if it's, you know, the shot I'm working on, not worrying about the next location. One of my assistants will be, their job is to just worry about the time because I don't want to have to watch, check my watch every five minutes worrying, okay, do we need to be at the next location yet? So I can just concentrate on making this location the best it can possibly be right now. So that's it. What's your dream shoot? What's the dream job? <sighs> wow. It's a great question. I've, I've really never thought about that, <laughs> honestly. Um, mm. I had... So going back to Nils, I had a long car ride with him up to Park City a few years ago, and I was asking him, like, what's the end goal? We were sort of talking about what the end goal is with photography because I didn't really know. And he said something that was great. He's like, well, there's never really an end goal. It's always just kind of the next goal. And I think that's always been, at least for me, the same with endurance sports is like, there's never one race, like, because you finish a race and then it's done. What do you just retire? No, you just find the next race. And so something that's going to excite you. So right now, my goal that I have, you know, maybe for the next year or two is going to look very different from the goal that I had two years ago, as opposed to the goal that I am going to have in two years. Um, you know, right now, I just, I kind of want to be on, you know, on a list of photographers that are considered for you know, like a Nike shoot or something like that. Um, that's kind of the current goal to get to that level. Um, and after, you know, I, I don't know what happens after that. I guess I'll figure it out if, if, and when I get there. Mm. So where do you see photography going? Like at least recently in the past, you know, few years, there's obviously everybody's got a camera uh, mm -hmm. on their phone. So you've got that angle, but also you've got people like Talbot who are disrupting an industry mm -hmm. and there's only going to be more Talbots out there, right. you know, as, as time progresses, where do you see, where do you see photography in your perspective, in your vision? Yeah. Like, where do you see the, let's just say in the well, next year or so. So I'm not too concerned about, you know, people talk about the death of photography because of smartphones. I'm really, that doesn't concern me too much. I mean, if that was a problem, you guys probably wouldn't have hired me. You would have just shot everything on your smartphone, right? But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but people do think that that's kind of the end. Yeah, but I look at my. It's the sky is falling thing. Yeah. There's always a new technology that's disrupting or that's, you know, going to ruin everything. And it's. Dude, I could never doesn't. take a 
I could never um, capture what I saw you capture that. So day. when it comes to that, I think photographers, you know, there is, it is a little bit more saturated than maybe it used to because it is easy to, um, buy a nice digital camera that'll take solid photos. Um, but there is a certain skill set and passion that you need to have to really like go from, you know, like you can't see this cause this is a audio podcast, but to go from here up to here, which is about a foot. Um, but the other part to the point about Talbot, he and I seem to do very similar sort of work, but at the same time, if you really kind of delve into it, he and I are never really never going to overlap. Well, I shouldn't say never, but Highly he unlikely. is not, he is not my direct quote unquote competition. And, but I love what he says about sort of, the, the mindset of abundance. And I believe in that too. Um, yeah. Other photographers, we may be going for the same gig, but you know, I think that I love the disruption thing. And I think that's the only way we make progress is because if you get stuck in the same mindset, you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, it's stale. And uh, like, that's where you sort of get stuck. And so for me, Right now I'm at the point where I just want to keep getting better at the one thing that I do now because every shoot that I do, I see something that I've done better than the last time and something that I can improve on. And so to try and make sure that I'm just continually learning and I, I don't want to be stagnant personally. I want to get better. I want to be better because that's, you know, the, the work hopefully will speak for itself at that point. And then whether I have... 1800 Instagram followers or, you know, 45,000 in some ways that, that is a, a form of currency, but I think the main form of currency should be the quality of the work and the connections you make. And, you know, hopefully I, I think the biggest compliment I can get is a repeat client because there's so many other people they could hire, but we made a connection. They were happy and they, you know, want to work together again. So when you look at like these these guys like Talbot, like Justin, I can't, I don't know how to pronounce it. Justin Lau. Justin Lau. Do you know him I don't. too? He's kind of, do, he's doing a similar thing to Talbot, but, um, and you said you were, you were pretty inspired by him. Like you were like, man, that guy like really knows how to hustle. What did you pull? Like what, what's a piece that you pull away from that, that you're going to put into action? Um, yeah, I listening to his, his podcast, I, I respect his hustle and his ability to just, just get it done and really put everything else secondary. And I, I think that's something that I need to concentrate on a little bit more, Be, you know, maybe not watch that next episode of whatever's on TV or, um, like I have a, I have a pretty active social life and I don't intend on giving that up, but at the same time, I, you can't, there isn't 30 hours in a day and there are, there aren't, you know, four days in a weekend. Um, and so that work life balance, I think just that sometimes the scales need to tip a little bit more towards the work. Um, I, I love my friends and my life in general, but I do recognize that sometimes a little more hustle, maybe not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Especially when you're doing it for something that you love. Yeah. 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 And that abundance mindset is incredibly crucial to the going all in mm -hmm. and the taking the risk. 
Yeah. Yeah. Trusting the, trusting that things are going to work as long as you do some of that work, you know? Yeah. And keep creating that momentum. I see amazing things for you in Uh, the future. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, this was fun. Yeah, dude. See? (laughs) Totally cool. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you guys. Oh, wait. How can, uh, so where can people find you? Yeah. We want to check uh, out your stuff. There's a couple of spots on the internets. Um, So Instagram is sort of my kind of rolling portfolio of whatever's going on um, at nickisabella.photography. And then on the web is sort of my more permanent portfolio. And that is nickisabella.photography. That's it. www.nickisabella.photography. No so, .com or anything. Photography, photography is actually instead Love of the it. com. Yeah. So nice. pick that up. Transcending the .com, <laughs> right. dude. I'm I over love it. Com. You're yeah. changing everything. Bubble burst. Thanks, sweet. Nick. And you got a sweet name. Man. <laughs> you could never do this with the. Yeah. <laughs>